0: and welcome back to another episode of MIM Honors Podcast Assignment. Is this title relevant enough for you, Dr. King? I'm Arianna, and I'll be one of your co-hosts this week.
1: Hi, I'm Zafir, and I'll be your other co-host. So to kick off this week's podcast, I want to start off by saying I absolutely hate when things go, don't go according to plan.
0: Oh, me too. I think most people don't like when outcomes don't match what they were expecting, especially when it comes to science. You always want your experiments to go a certain way, right?
1: Exactly. But as many of us know, that really isn't always the case. Sometimes we expect to find one thing, but find another, or somehow mess up an experiment and get no results at all.
0: Yeah, this can be so frustrating. I'm sure a lot of our listeners can relate. So I think it's important to emphasize how accidents potentially can be a good thing by talking about scientific discoveries that were made completely by chance.
1: Exactly. For example, we've all heard about how penicillin was discovered because Alexander Fleming was a little messy and accidentally got some mold on his plates. However, the list of these kinds of discoveries is long. Did you know that the discovery of dynamite, microwave ovens, artificial sweetener, chocolate chip cookies, and insulin were all complete flukes?
0: That's awesome. The list really is endless, and it would be difficult to fit even a fraction of them into this short podcast. So why don't we focus on two life-changing medical inventions that were discovered by pure serendipity?
1: Sure. Let's talk about x-rays and the implantable pacemaker. And to all our listeners, we'd love to hear your thoughts as we go along and what you think of these medical inventions. So please text us at one 800 call Now, Ariana, why don't you start off and walk us through how x-rays were discovered?
0: Yeah, I'd love that. So x-rays were discovered by a German physicist named Wilhelm Rontgen in 1895. And at the time, he was actually working on cathode ray tubes to try and see if cathode rays could pass through glass. The thing is, he noticed something weird was happening. When the tube was on and the room was dark, there would be a glow coming from a screen nearby.
1: Whoa, that must have been quite a weird thing to see.
0: I know. Apparently, he even tried covering the tube to block these, and I quote, invisible rays, but nothing changed.
1: And so how did he realize that x-rays could be used to image bone tissue?
0: Well, he tried to block the rays with his hands, so I guess he must have been pretty shocked when he noticed that he could see his bones being projected onto the screen.
1: I know I would be.
0: Same. I think his wife was also pretty spooked by the idea. Apparently, when he photographed her hand, her initial reaction was to say, I have seen my death.
1: Little did she know that these rays would change medicine.
0: Exactly. And I think Ronkin was really quick to realize what a miracle this discovery actually was. He threw himself into investigating x-rays and published the first paper on them shortly after. And this paper generated a huge interest. In 1896, the year after x-rays were initially discovered, There were as many as 49 essays and 1,044 articles published on the new rays. The discovery eventually led Röntgen to receive the first Nobel Prize in Physics in 1901.
1: At the time, this must have been huge. I guess it was the first time doctors could see inside the human body without surgery or other invasive strategies, right?
0: Yeah, and they were also super useful in a war that took place in 1897 to find bullets and broken bones inside soldiers.
1: Ouch, and here I was complaining about my sprained ankle as a kid.
0: (laughs) I know, right?
1: So what exactly are x-rays, and how do they work?
0: X-rays are a type of electromagnetic radiation. They act similar to visible light that we can see, but at wavelengths that are approximately a thousand times shorter. So essentially, they're shorter than UV rays, but longer than gamma rays. And the reason they were called x-rays is just because they were an unknown type of radiation. And it was Ronkin who also discovered that these rays could go through human flesh, but not higher density substances like bone or lead, so these could be photographed through the shadow that they formed.
1: Oh, cool. Wait, why is it then when I go to the dentist, they have me wear a big lead coat? Is it because x-rays are harmful, so we want to block them?
0: Yeah, that's the thing. So scientists were really quick in realizing the benefits of x-rays, but unfortunately a little slow in understanding the harmful effects. Initially, they thought the rays just passed through flesh as harmlessly as visible light. But within a few years, people began reporting burns or skin damage after exposure to x-rays. And for some people working extensively on them, they unfortunately died of skin cancer.
1: That's terrible. That just dampened the mood a little bit. Okay, I have a joke for you. What do dentists call their x-rays? What? Toothpicks.
0: Mm, Okay, very funny.
1: Come on, that was so funny. Okay, fine. How did the radiologist know her boyfriend was lying to her? How did she know? She saw right through him.
0: Okay, okay. Well, with that, I'll end by saying that for his completely accidental discovery, Ron received a huge amount of praise. However, he remained modest and never patented his discovery. And today, x-rays are widely used in medicine to identify broken bones or fractures, as well as in a number of other fields. So next, Zafir is gonna talk about how pacemakers were discovered. But for now, why don't we look at a text that just came in from one of our audience members?
1: Sure, so this text says, not only are X-rays amazing in medicine, but in airport security as well. A couple months ago, I was meant to catch a flight, but got stalled at security because a lady in front of me was trying to smuggle hundreds of Petri dishes in her carry-on. I have no idea what she was growing, but luckily she wasn't allowed to bring it onto her flight after the X-ray machine picked it up. Yuck.
0: Mm, okay. Well, in that case, I guess one accident that we should never make is to try and travel with our experiments. Thanks for the text. With that, we'll take a short break, and then Zafira will be back with the next accidental discovery for this segment, The Pacemaker.
1: Like x-rays, pacemakers were also an accidental discovery. A pacemaker is a small device that's placed under your skin in your chest to help you control your heartbeat. It's used to help your heart beat more regularly if you have an irregular heartbeat or an arrhythmia. The first cardiac pacemaker was actually invented by a fellow Canadian. His name was John Hopps, and he was an electrical engineer who was researching the effects of radio frequency heating on hypothermia back in 1941. He found that if the heart stopped beating when when the temperature dropped, it could be restarted artificially using mechanical or electrical simulation to make it beat.
0: Oh, I've heard of him. He was the founder of the Canadian Medical and Biological Engineering Society. That's truly incredible. But how did he come across that? What was he testing on?
1: He was actually conducting his experiments on dogs, and his research allowed for the development of the first cardiac defibrillator machine in 1949, which Hobbs used to restart a dog's heart. Then a year later, Hopps invented the first pacemaker device.
0: Wow, so it took him eight years from his eureka moment to have an actual pacemaker?
1: Not exactly. Hopps' 1950 pacemaker had one major drawback. You couldn't really use the pacemaker in humans because it was too big to be used internally.
0: Oh, how did he solve his problem then?
1: Hopps didn't do anything with his first pacemaker after that. Someone else made made the first pacemaker for medical use in 1958. It was an American named Wilson Greatbatch.
0: It took another eight years to make a smaller pacemaker?
1: Yeah, because to make the device smaller, he needed smaller batteries. So he just had a minor side project in which he invented pacemaker batteries. No big deal. But by the mid-80s, fitting cardiac pacemakers had become a routine surgical procedure. Today, because of hops and great batch, there are millions of people living with pacemakers, living longer lives.
0: Oh, we're getting a question from a listener from John Hops' hometown of Winnipeg. They're asking how a doctor decides if someone needs a pacemaker.
1: Thanks for the question. A potential pacemaker candidate will have several tests done to find the cause of their irregular heartbeat. They'll perform an electrocardiogram or an ECG, which measures your heart's electrical impulses, an echocardiogram, which transmits sound waves from your heart to a machine that uses the sound wave patterns to make an image of your beating heart on a monitor, coupled with stress tests such as walking on a treadmill or riding a stationary bike. And if all these tests check out and your cardiologist sees fit, you'll be scheduled for surgery.
0: But Zafira, how do pacemakers actually work?
1: Well, a pacemaker has a computerized generator powered by batteries and wires with sensors at their tips that connect the generator to the heart. A pacemaker helps monitor and control your heartbeat. The sensor detects your heart's electrical activity and sends data through the wires to the computer and the generator. If your heart rhythm is abnormal, the computer will direct the generator to send electrical impulses to your heart. The pulses travel through the wires to reach your heart to adjust its rhythm.
0: I'm shocked. So how long does the surgery take to implant a pacemaker?
1: Wow, gotta love a nice subtle pun. <laughs> it takes about one to two hours on average. Newer pacemakers can even monitor your blood temperature, breathing, and other factors. The pacemaker's computer also records your heart's electrical activity and heart rhythm. So your cardiologist can use these recordings to adjust your pacemaker so it works better for you.
0: Pacemakers sure have come a long way since Hops' first cardiac defibrillation machine. By the way, whatever happened to Hops?
1: In 1984, John Hops had a pacemaker fitted to regulate his own heart and received the replacement pacemaker 13 years later.
0: Talk about full circulation. Get it? Because blood basically flows in a circle.
1: And you say my jokes are bad.
0: Fine. Okay, I have a better one for you. What kind of car did the heart surgeon drive to work?
1: I don't know. What? A beater. (laughs) And with, with that, I'll remind everyone in the words of Bob Ross. There are no mistakes, just happy accidents. X-rays and pacemakers are the perfect example of this. Even when experiments don't go according to plan, we should always meticulously analyze our results and keep an open mind because you never know when you might stumble upon the next revolutionary medical innovation.
0: Thank you everyone for listening and tune in next week for another episode of MIM Honors Podcast Assignment. Is this title relevant enough for you, Dr. King?